Hello, Colonial Heights. I'm Kevin Ezell, president of the North America Mission Board, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a missions-minded church, not only in the way you give, but also in the way that you go. Could not be more excited about the launching of Cross Community Church. Pastor Chaz told me all about that, and I know the reason, so often a reason the church is missions-minded is because the pastor is. And so, Chad, thank you for your leadership, how you lead your church, but also the leader you are in all of Mississippi of showing others what it means to reproduce. And nothing says that more than planting a church, sending people out. Acts 13, they talked about sending them out. I really believe a church is judged by success, ultimately by its sending capacity, not by its seating capacity. God has called us to multiply. So thank you for doing that. Matthew, thank you for being the one that God has chosen to lead out with Cross Community Church. I want you to know we'll be praying for you, and you and Brandy, as you lead out in that way and could not be more thrilled what God is going to do. With that being said, also would love to encourage, there are many of you perhaps that are there today that, that would be open or at least pray about being open, going with Matthew and helping launch a new ministry. Hey, this is something started, read the book of Acts. All through the book of Acts, as Paul and Barnabas started on that first missionary tour, it was all about planting churches and seeing God multiply his presence. And that's what you're about there right outside Jackson. So thank you, Colonial Heights. Thank you, Chad. And Matthew, we could not be more excited about the days to come. Amen. So I'm uh, very thankful for that, uh, that message from Kevin Ezell, president of the North American Mission Board. Um, and in that message, he said, if you want to learn more about church planning, read the book of Acts. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to, to the book of Acts. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. And I also uh, want to uh, just ask that you would go ahead and be ready. We're gonna also be reading some verses from the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you wanna like go ahead and mark your place there so you can turn there pretty quickly. Acts 17 is gonna be our main text, but we will also uh, be uh, looking at some verses from 1 Thessalonians chapters one and two. So um, the original plan for today's message was for Chad and I to actually preach this together. We were both gonna be on stage, we were both gonna be preaching uh, this message. It was gonna be uh, him kind of preaching from the perspective of the lead pastor of the sending church, Colonial Heights, and then me obviously preaching from the perspective of the one being sent out, the church planter for Cross Community Church, which we'll talk about in just a second. Um, unfortunately, that was not able to happen today. Earlier this week, we found out that Chad tested positive for COVID. Um, he is doing well. Um, he, I've spoke to him, even texting some this morning, and he is doing good. Very mild symptoms, but unfortunately was not able to join us today. So that means I get to preach this all by myself. Um, and as you have turned to Acts chapter 17, if you're the type of person who keeps notes in your Bibles about when different preachers preach on different texts and different topics, you may notice that I think probably a couple of years ago, Chad preached a sermon on church planting from this very same passage of scripture. It was a couple years ago, he was going through the, a sermon series called Clear. We actually um, took those messages and wrote a book about it as well. And so uh, there is a chapter in that book and there was a sermon in that series 
on church planting. And so what we wanted to do was return to this passage of Scripture because uh, and preached really almost the same outline. I'm using a lot of the same notes that Chad had used before and we're preaching from the same passage of Scripture. But what we wanted to do was just emphasize the fact that back then, when he preached this message the first time, he was presenting church planting as an idea before you, the congregation, before you, Colonial Heights, as something that we hope to do one day in the future. And now, we want to return back to this passage of Scripture as something that we as a church are actually doing. What was once just this kind of theoretical thing, just an idea, is now becoming a reality. As, as me and my family and some, even some people from here who have already committed and hopefully more people who will commit to being a part of that, we are looking to launch a new church in August of this year in Northwest Rankin County called Cross Community Church. Yeah, there we go, there's the logo right there. We just got that. Um, we just had that designed recently, Cross Community Church. Uh, just to share a little bit about that name and what our purpose is, we want this to be a church that obviously is centered around the cross of Christ. David just did a great job of that, talking about how uh, the Apostle Paul says, what the thing that is most important is that Christ came and he died for our sins and he rose from the grave. And so we want everything that we do as this new church to be centered around the cross of Christ. We want that evident right there in our name. This is who we are. We are people of the cross. We also wanted that word community. I wanted that to be in the name as well for a couple of reasons. First, we want this new church to be a gospel-centered community of people gathered around the cross. But in addition to that, we also wanted this to be, want this to be a church that is going to be located in this community, other side of the reservoir, Northwest Rankin County, Brandon Reservoir area. We want this to be a church that is going to be serving our community, be open to that community of people. We wanna be actively involved in the community in which we're going to be planted. And you can even see, uh, if you look at the logo kind of at the bottom there, right below the cross, there's even kind of in that negative space, there's an arrow pointing up to it. That, that arrow, obviously, that's exalting the cross, but it also symbolizes that we want this to be a sending church. We want to send people out in the community, and even a few years down the road, we want to be planting churches as well. And so we want to be, as, just as Colonial Heights here, we say we belong, we gather, we send we want to be a sending church as well. And so that is what we want to do. And so that is hopefully the mission that we want to uh, proclaim to, to you today and that in the future, beginning in August, when we are gathering together for that first time, Lord willing, that that is the message that we will proclaim to the people there as well. So having said all of that, that message of, the cross is, message of the cross is exactly what Paul and Silas were preaching as well. As what, so what we need to do is look now to Acts 17 and, and see what was happening as Paul and Silas go into this new town called Thessalonica. So verse 17, chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. 
and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So this is the story of Paul and his close associate partner in the gospel, Silas. They are on a missionary journey. This is actually Paul's second missionary journey. Um, he went on the first one with a guy named Barnabas, and then he came back to home base, which is a place called Antioch, and then they launched out again, and they went on a second missionary journey, this time him and, and Silas. And the way these, these journeys work for Paul, it's not like a short-term mission trip that we go on, where we go to a new place, and we spend about a week there, and then we come back home. And what Paul did is he went to a new place, spent a long time there, established a new church, and then after he had done that, he didn't go back home. He went to the next place, repeated the process, and then went to the next place, repeated the process, and kept going on and on. Eventually, he would work his way back around to where he had started. And so they're on this journey, and so the next place on the list is a place called Thessalonica. And this is the story of the, kind of the first converts, the beginning of that church in Thessalonica. And that's actually why I asked you, we're, in a few minutes we're going to be looking at some verse, verses from 1 Thessalonians. That is going to be a letter that Paul wrote back to these believers that came to know Christ during this encounter. And so we're going to see some of that in just a minute. But the first thing that I want us to know when we're talking about church planting is that church planting includes evangelism in word. Church planting includes evangelism in word. And so what that means is that as people who are planting a new church, our purpose is to go out and win lost people for the kingdom of God. And so we have to go out and evangelize. And evangelism always has to include people actually opening their mouths and speaking to other people. We have, to, we have to speak the gospel to people. We have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people. So it is evangelism in word. This is what Paul did. This is part of his process. In Acts 17, it says this was his custom. He would go to the local synagogue. He would find Jews gathered together on the Sabbath day. And when we would encounter that group of people, he would start preaching the gospel. He would tell those people all about Jesus, how it was verse three, how it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to die, to raise from the dead. And he says, this Jesus that I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. And so we have to speak, we have to do evangelism in word. We have to use our words. And so what that means is that as we plant churches, as we go out into the world, into local communities, the word must be taught. The word must be taught. Uh, I want to invite you, go ahead and flip over. Keep your place here at Acts 17. We will be coming back. But go ahead and flip over to 1 Thessalonians if you're able to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. 
He says, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction. So we're gonna talk about the power and the Holy Spirit in just a minute. But the first thing he says, he says, our gospel came to you not only in word. So, so it says not only in word, but that includes the fact that they, it did come in word. He went to Thessalonica, he went to the Thessalonians, and he preached the word, he taught the word. and said that he was in the synagogue reasoning with them, explaining the word to them. And so the word must be taught. All of our missionary efforts out in the world, all the things that we do, whether that's locally or that's internationally, everything that we do, if we do not take the word with us, it's just humanitarian aid. And those are good things. Like if we go into a new place and we provide food and clean water, clothing, we build houses, we do all these great things. Those are great things, but... At best, those things in and of themselves are only going to meet physical, temporary needs. But if we take the word, if we do those things and we take the gospel with us, we are now not just meeting those physical, temporary needs, we are meeting spiritual and eternal needs that people have because they desperately need Jesus. And so the word must be taught. And so a couple of different things about this. So first, keeping with this theme of proclaiming the gospel, church planting is done through proclaiming the gospel. Church planting is done through proclaiming the gospel. The, the thing that we have kind of encountered a little bit as we have announced this process of planting a new church, uh, we Chad first announced this, I believe, back in September in a sermon, and uh, he was announcing that we want to plant this new church, and so people have asked questions about that. Why, uh, why plant a new church? Why plant a new church here in Mississippi where there's like, there's, you see a church, and then across the road there's another church, right? Well, the, what the research shows us, the statistics that are out there, the people who have done the work on this, this is actually from the Mississippi Baptist Convention, has reported, uh, Chad was actually in a, in a pastor's meeting where they announced this number. They said that based on church attendance figures and comparing that to the population of the state, about 60% of the state of Mississippi is not engaged in church. That means despite all the churches that we have, and by the way, Mississippi is the most churched state in this country. Like, there's more churches per capita, uh, per capita than, than any other state in the United States of America. And despite that, over half of the people here are not actively engaged in a church. And so that means over half of the church is most likely lost. Well, a lot of that same research tells us that the most effective way of reaching people who are not actively engaged in church is by planting a new church. For whatever reason, lost people, people who are far away from God, have, a, have no relationship with God at all or a distant relationship with the Lord at best, those people are more likely to get involved in a new church than they are with one that has been established for many years. There's a lot of different reasons for that, but again, that is what the research and the statistics tell us. 
And so that's why Colonial Heights wants to be in this business of planting churches because we know that there are lost people out there. We want to reach those lost people. And if the most effective way to do that is through planting new churches, then Colonial Heights wants to plant new churches. So church planting is done through proclaiming the gospel. And the most effective way that we can do that is by planting new churches in these in other communities. But it's not just that church planting is done through proclaiming the gospel. Also, church planting is done in faithfulness to Scripture. So the reason why Paul and Silas are going from place to place and they are proclaiming the gospel is because that's what Jesus commanded them to do. They're doing this out of obedience. This is, what, this is the calling that God has placed on their lives. They are traveling around. And they're going from place to place, establishing new churches, because they are being faithful to the command of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we, too, have that calling. We, the Great Commission, also applies to us. We need to be faithful to the commands of Scripture. You see, it's, it's one thing for us to, to know what the Bible says, and then it's another thing to teach what the Bible says, right? So, like, you can know it, but then you've got to, like, take this step, this, an, an additional step to be able to teach others what the Bible says. Well, I would argue that there is a completely different step that sometimes needs to be taken. You see, we can know the Word. We can even teach the Word. That doesn't mean that we always obey the Word. It's one thing to know it. It's one thing to teach it. It's a different thing sometimes to obey what the Bible says. And so the reason Paul and Silas are doing this is because they are being obedient to the command of Christ. Unfortunately, again, having done some research on church planting and even the history of new churches here in the state of Mississippi, unfortunately, if you look, not recent history, but like past history, like the, the long history of this state and for as long as churches have existed in this state, going way back, most churches, most new churches that got started didn't get started out of faithfulness to Scripture. They got started because of disagreement between people within another church. It wasn't a situation where they were sending people out. It was a situation where they were deciding to split up. And so that's not, but thankfully, that is not what's happening in this situation. This is not like me and Chad got into an argument and I'm going to leave and I want to take as many people with me as I can. No, this is not about division. This is about multiplication. We want to multiply the kingdom of God. We want to multiply churches, and we want more and more people to come to know Christ as Savior. See, the word has to be taught. Church planting it includes evangelism in word. Not only must the word be taught, the word must have power. The word must have power. So, um, in going... Sticking in 1 Thessalonians, looking back at verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, which is what we just talked about, in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. See, the word must have power. And the word is empowered by God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. We were reading from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. So that... That we call it the book of Acts, but that's kind of like a shortened title. If you look at the full title, on like, go to 
Acts chapter one, look at the very beginning of the book. Your Bible probably says the Acts of the Apostles. And that's traditionally what the book has been called. And that's accurate. We do see the apostles doing lots of things. But a more accurate description of this book would actually be not Acts of the Apostles, but Acts of the Holy Spirit. See, those apostles did a lot of great things, but they were only capable of doing those great things because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's, he shows up in Acts chapter 2, and everything changes, right? We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But the Holy Spirit is the one who is empowering this work, and so we are praying that he would empower us to do this work as well, that we would have the power of God himself equipping us, empowering us to go out and reach a, a new community. So the word must be taught, the word must have power, and the word must be accepted. If you look real quickly back at Acts chapter 17, verse 4, it says that some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And so what that means is that as they were preaching the gospel, People accepted the word of truth. People came to know Christ as Savior. So he was speaking to a group of Jews in the synagogue, and a few of those Jews believed. And then in addition to that, there were a big group of Greek people who lived in the surrounding area. They believed as well, and there's even, even some women joined in with that as well. So there's not a few women. So it was a good group of women who also believed and came to faith in Christ. And so the word was accepted. And so that's exactly what we want to happen as we go out, so uh, that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so actually, going back to 1 Thessalonians, this time I want you to look at chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 13. This is Paul writing back to some of those same people, and he says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And so Paul is constantly thanking God that when he went to Thessalonica, people accepted the gospel and they came to be believers. They came to be followers of Christ. And so that's what we're praying happens when we send, when we go out and we plant this new church and uh, by the way, so there is in church planting, there's this big word called contextualization. That's a big word, and all that means is that when you go to a new place, you've got to put the gospel message into a context that the new place, the people of the new place are going to understand, right? So when we go from, like on an international mission trip, this makes a lot more sense. So like if we send a team to Africa, the way that we do church here probably not gonna make sense to them, so we've got to put it into their context, right? Well, we've got some people here on staff that live here in Madison County, and they like to pretend that Rankin County is this far off distant and primitive land. <laughs> so we make a lot of jokes, we have a lot of fun about that, but in, in actuality, there's, in the, in the grand scheme of things at least, there's not all that much difference, but there is some difference. And so that means as people, might, by God's grace, might leave from here to go plant a new church there, we do need to contextualize this. We do need to get into the community to know their needs, to, to know those people and what is going on in, in their world. And we need to contextualize 
the gospel message in a way that they might know it, hear it, understand it, and ultimately accept it. So the word must be accepted. So church planting includes evangelism in word, and church planting includes discipleship in deed. So we looked at Acts 17, verse 4, and we saw all those people coming to know Christ. That group of Jews, those Greek men, and all those women, they were coming to know Christ as Savior. Well, what happened next to those new believers? This passage of Scripture doesn't actually tell us, because what happens next, and we'll get into it in a little bit, is that some persecution starts happening. Those, the majority of the Jewish people there get angry at the fact that Paul is leading people to Christ, and so they're trying to get Paul out of there. They were like, he's getting, trying to run him out of town. Well, as he's being run out of town, what happened to those new believers who were left behind? Well, again, we don't have a verse here that tells us exactly what happened, but if, again, we're looking forward to this letter that was written to them by Paul, right? We know that there were people who stayed behind and became a church. These new believers gathered together and they began worshiping God together, worshiping Christ together on a weekly basis as churches do, and they began trying to reach the people of their area. And so the reason why we have these letters later on in the Bible, First and Second Thessalonians, is because that church continued to thrive and grow, and Paul needed to write a letter back to them encouraging them in what they were doing. And so in order for those new converts, those new baby Christians, in order for them to be a church after Paul was run out of town, they needed to be discipled. They needed somebody there who was going to help them grow, thrive, and mature in their faith. And so church planting includes discipleship indeed. What we mean by that is that discipleship is an action that has to be carried out. It is something that we as mature believers need to do for those younger, less mature Christians. And so again, going back to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see that we need to disciple others like a mother nurtures her children. We disciple others like a mother nurtures her children. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So the same way that, that, a, that a mother is going to take care of her, her newborn baby, is going to uh, just feed that newborn baby, take care of every need that that baby has, that we as a church need to nurture new Christians. And then in addition to that, he continues on and he tells us that we need to disciple others like a father encourages his children. Like a father encourages his children. Skip down a little bit, 1 Thessalonians ch chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Says, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. New believers need to be nurtured like a mother, and they need to receive encouragement as if from a father share a little bit about my own personal testimony. So uh, I was not raised in church. That wasn't something that we did as my family when I was growing up as a little kid. I, but I came to know Christ. I became a believer about, at about 16 years old. So I was a little bit older. I was a teenager. 
And so then I got actively involved in a local church. I got involved in the youth group there, and so it was just really great. And there were people in that church who, because they knew that I was not coming from a Christian background, they knew I was not raised at church, there was, uh, that they knew that they needed to nurture me like a mother. They needed to encourage me like a father. And it's because of some of those people in that church who invested in me, who discipled me, it was made it possible for me to grow in my faith, to thrive, and to eventually get to the point where I'm standing in front of you preaching God's word and hoping to plant a new church one day. And so it was because of ordinary church members who were willing to step up in this way and take on this responsibility. And that is one of the main reasons why I'm standing before you today and I want to challenge you, I want to plead with you that you might pray about being a part of our new team, being a part of our new church. Because as we go into this new community and as we hope to lead people to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, guess what they're going to need? More mature believers who are there to nurture them and to encourage them and to help them grow and thrive in their faith, for them to be discipled. This is something that we desperately need. And so as we continue, you're going to hear some more uh, about this from me, but we do want to ask you to begin praying. If you have not already started that process, because we've mentioned this before, that you might pray about whether or not you would be called to be a part of Cross Community Church, to be a part of the team that is being launched out from here. So church planting includes evangelism in word, and church planting includes discipleship Indeed. And finally, church planting includes multiplication in action. So as we read verses 6 through 9, uh, Acts, this is back in Acts, Acts 17, verses 6 through 9, I talked about that persecution. It says that they are, uh, they're trying to find Paul and Silas. They had been staying at a guy's house named Jason, and so they go to Jason's house. They can't find him. And so, uh, so what they do is they drag Jason out. They take some other of the new believers. They drag them out, and they put them before the city authorities. And, and I love what they say next. Uh, this is Acts 17. I believe it's verse 6. He says, they drag them out. The middle of verse 6 says, these men, referring to Paul and Silas, these men who have turned the world upside down. As we plant churches, We've got to lead the church to imitate boldness. We've got to lead the church to imitate boldness. You see, these men, Paul and Silas, were willing to go to these new cities, and they knew that when they got there, they were going to face persecution. They knew that the Jewish people or other people were not going to be happy with the message of the gospel. They went there anyway. And they were so bold that they were referred to by this lost person as people who are here turning the world upside down. That is what we are called to do. We are called to go out into this lost, broken, fallen world, and we are called to turn it upside down for the sake of the kingdom of God. But I want to make something really clear. None of us are capable of turning the world upside down for Jesus unless Jesus has first turned our lives upside down. 
See, he's got to do that work of salvation in us first. And so we're going to get to this in a minute, but I just want to go ahead and extend this, this call from the gospel that maybe you are sitting here today and you are a part of that lost, broken, fallen world, that you are still lost in your sinfulness and that you might need to respond to the message of the cross of Jesus Christ that you might need at the end of our service today to come forward and to talk with somebody about where you stand in your relationship with the Lord. It might be that God is, wants to turn your life upside down today. And, and that's actually a really awesome thing that we can look at when we're looking at the book of Acts, that you can actually see something. This is one of my favorite things about studying the book of Acts is you get to see this stark contrast between the apostles, the disciples, who they are now in Acts and who they used to be in the Gospels. So if you look back to the Gospels when they're hanging out with Jesus, you, you want to describe those 12 guys, you can say that they are people who have way too little faith and way too much fear. See, like Jesus even told them, he's like, oh, you have little faith, Right? Like, and there were like times when it was like Jesus was frustrated with them because they were not believing the things that he said. They were with him every day, and they did not believe in him to the extent that he expected them to. Not enough faith. And then way too much fear, right? Like when Jesus is arrested, what do they do? They run and hide. And the guy who was like the most bold, most outspoken among them, Peter, what did he do? Denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Way too little faith and way too much fear. But then when we get to the book of Acts, a couple of things have happened. They've seen Jesus go to the cross. They've seen him resurrected from the grave. They've seen him defeat sin and death. And then secondly, the Holy Spirit that we talked about earlier, the Holy Spirit has come down and empowered them. And so now they are radically different people. And so there is no fear they are completely bold. They are doing all that it takes, no matter what, to go to these places to proclaim the gospel, even if it means they've got to face persecution, even if it means they're being arrested or drug out into the streets or even stoned or put to death. They have no fear. And they have a whole lot of faith. They are confident that God is going to fulfill the promises that he has made to them. And so... As we have talked about the church plans, as we have challenged people to pray about going with us, there have been some people who have committed to that, people who have said, yes, we're in and we wanna be a part of that. There have been other people who have said, you know what, I'm just not sure yet, we're still praying through that and that is definitely a process I want you to take your time doing. I want you to, to pray through that and, and seek the Lord's leadership. But before you come to a final conclusion of no, I think we need to stay here, I would just lovingly challenge you to take an honest look at where you're at on that ratio of fear and faith. We need to lead the church to imitate boldness. And we need to lead the church to imitate evangelism. All right, so we talked about how they would get arrested or they would be like drug out into the streets. And so they are facing persecution. Well, the reason they are facing this persecution is real simple. They will not Stop telling people about Jesus. Life would have been way more simple for these guys, way more comfortable if they would have just kept their mouths closed. Life would have been a whole lot easier if they would have just stopped telling people about Jesus, but they refused to do that. And so we as a church, we as, a, as Colonial Heights, the, the sending church and, and cross-community church, 
one day soon as the, the church is being planted, all churches, all gospel teaching churches need to uh, imitate this lifestyle of evangelism. We need to always have the name of Jesus on our lips, ready to tell people about the salvation, the grace and mercy that is found in him. And then we need to lead the church to imitate sacrifice. We talked some about the persecution that they were facing in, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, For you, brothers, become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. You see, church planting, actually just being a Christian in general, it's not an easy thing. It's a difficult thing to do in the world in which we live right now. There, there is persecution that can be involved. There is suffering, and it involves sacrifice. And so we've got to lead the church to imitate sacrifice. When we talk about suffering and sacrifice, and we compare this to what they're going through in the book of Acts, we have to admit that for us, it looks a little bit different, right? Right? None of us have probably, at least not in this country, been arrested for our faith or drug out into the streets or anything like that, so that, that suffering might look a little bit differently. And so as we continue to just put this challenge in front of you about whether or not you would be called to be a part of this new church, of Cross Community Church, I want to remind you that we are called to make sacrifices for the cause of Christ. And, and as people have shared some of their stories about, uh, as they're kind of weighing that decision of whether or not they feel as if God is leading them to go or not, I, I want you to know that I completely sympathize with you. This should not be an easy thing. You shouldn't be like, oh yeah, I get to get out of Colonial Heights. No, like, we want this to be a struggle. We, want, we know that this is a place that you love. Like, my wife and I, our family, we've been here for just a little bit over two years, and we already deeply love this church. We have, uh, we have, we love this, this church in general, the, the way that we worship and the way that we send and all these different things. And we have met people here in these past couple of years, like developed uh, deep relationships with people that we believe that after we are sent out, that this will, these will be lifelong relationships with different people. And so for those of you who have been here much longer than that, for those of you who, like, your family has been here at this church for multiple generations, Believe me when I say that that sacrifice is not lost on me. And maybe you're in the completely different category. Maybe like you just got here and maybe you've been like searching for a new church, trying to find the right place to fit in and you found Colonial Heights and you're like, oh, this is it. I finally found it. And now here I am on stage challenging you to leave. Well, I want you to know that we, we completely understand that this should not be an easy decision. This is something that we need to weigh and wrestle with. But... As you are praying through that decision, I want to share a quote with you from a guy named Jeff Christofferson. He has written some books on church planning, and one of the things that he wrote is that the goal ought not to be a mega church, but to be a mother church. And so that means that we are to be in the business of creating new churches, planting new churches, giving birth to new churches. And so we talked some a little bit ago about being a parent and nurturing people and encouraging people like a mother or a father. Well, for those of you who are mothers who have given birth, you know that giving birth is a painful process. 
And so I'm not up here trying to pretend like planting a new church is going to be an easy thing. It's just all fun and games. There's not gonna be any difficulty, no. There's gonna be some pain involved for everybody. And so, again, going back to that illustration of a mother giving birth, I've heard women say before that it's like the most, like the most painful thing they've ever experienced in their life. But some of those same women who say that also have multiple kids. So it's like, if, if, it, if it hurts so much, why do you keep doing it? Well, the answer is real simple. The baby that you have is worth it. And so I would just put before you that yes, this will be a difficult process. Yes, it will involve pain and sacrifice on the part of those who are going and on the people who are staying behind because people that you are close to, people that you love are leaving to go to another church. There is going to be pain involved. But by God's grace, we confidently believe that it will be worth it. So let's talk some just very quickly about ways in which we can respond. First, I do want to once again just say, I wanna ask that you pray about being a part of that launch team. Uh, not this Wednesday night, but next Wednesday night, January 19th, I'm gonna start teaching a class on Wednesday nights for people who are interested in being a part of the launch team, people who are interested in being a part of Cross Community Church. We will start meeting together on Wednesday nights uh, two Wednesdays from now. Uh, some other growth groups are actually are going to get started this Wednesday night on January 12th, but the, the launch team training will begin on January 19th upstairs in room 202. So if you're interested in that, the next step for you, you can come tell me about it. We can talk some about it between now and then, but January 19th, upstairs at six o'clock, Wednesday night, room 202. Also, I just want to ask people to continue to be praying for Cross Community Church. Be praying for me and my family and praying for everybody who might be a part of that team. I wanna just challenge you to continue to pray and to support us. And then also, for those of you who are pretty confident that you're supposed to stay here, if that's the case, uh, then I want to encourage you in that. If you feel like that is what God is calling you to do, then stay here, like obey the Lord. But if, if I'm being sent out and I'm hoping to take some people with me and even people who have already committed to that, those people have some pretty key volunteer and service roles. Like they might be an elder or a deacon or a life group leader or they serve in different age group areas. And so that means if they, in August, eight months from now, they're leaving to go with me, that means they're leaving behind some areas of service and people are gonna need to step into those. And so, even if you're pretty sure that you are not called to be sent out, I do wanna challenge you that you begin to pray about how you might need to step up and to step into some of those areas of service. And then lastly, this is what's most important. I wanna challenge you to respond to the gospel. We talked about sacrifices that need to be made. Well, the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus Christ giving his life for us. It was Jesus Christ who lived this sinless and perfect life, going to the cross to give his life for sinful people. And so I want to challenge you to admit the fact that you are sinful. I wanna challenge you to believe in Jesus Christ and to confess him as your Savior and Lord. And if you feel like that is something that the Holy Spirit is compelling you today, convicting you to do today, there's a door right over here to the right of the stage. And there are people in there who would love to have a conversation with you about where you stand in your relationship with the Lord. 
Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory because you are the only one who deserves it. God, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you did give your son as a ransom for our sins that we could have eternal life with you because of his work, because of your grace and mercy, God. I do pray that people would accept that truth, that they would come to know Christ today. And I do pray that there are people in this place who would take seriously the command of making disciples and planting churches that you have placed on us as a church, as your followers, and that we would do whatever it takes for the gospel to go out to different places and to new communities so that more people can hear this good news. Lord, I pray that people today would respond to you in whatever way that you are leading them to. In the name of your son, Jesus, we voice this prayer. Amen.